Welcome to the podcast of Rogue Valley Christian Church. We hope to be a place that connects you to Jesus, encourages you to grow in your faith, and challenges you to serve the world. Amen? You can grab a seat. So language is a funny thing, yeah? Okay, you guys are the... You guys are the more interactive service. (laughs) Let's try this again. Language is a funny thing, yeah? So I'm just going to admit to you what happens in my head during moments in which language is uh, engaged. So I said, why don't you grab a seat? And immediately I started imagining three or four of you just going, "Eh." no? Is today going to be that day? Like, it's going to be rough, huh? Well, we'll just get through it. Um, let me just say this. We got a, uh, if you're joining us online, we're glad that you are. Welcome to Rogue Valley Christian Church. We have a couple of announcements we want to make you aware of. Number one, this coming Wednesday morning, we have a mom's group that meets. I don't, they're very nice. Well, Emily is absolutely enthusiastic about it, which is great, and I'm assuming Marjorie would be as well, and anybody else who has gone. I'll say this about the mom's group. I have never gone, but I have had their snacks. That alone is the reason to go, because their snacks is all, are always good. But Wednesday morning, 9.30, an opportunity for moms to get together, fellowship, share one another's lives, pray for each other, encourage one another, laugh, so on and so forth. So if you're so inclined... Um, I would just tell you, if you're going to woohoo in service, you're going to get volunteered. So uh, if you have any questions about that, you can see Emily after the service. The other thing that we have going on is Wednesday night. We are doing another one of our more educational or theological workshops on the reality of Jesus. And so we're going to be looking in three consecutive weeks. So this Wednesday, we're going to be looking at Jesus as prophet. Following week... We'll look at Jesus as priest, and then finally, the week after Easter, we'll look at Jesus as king. We're going to do that in the multi-purpose room, round tables, pencils, papers, pads, so on and so forth, opportunities to ask questions, make statements, so on and so forth. So if you have not signed up for that at this point, you don't have to, just show up. That would be really great. And those of you who are upset because you did commit to signing up, and now you're thinking, well, I didn't have to sign up the whole way. Um, We're just glad that you did, and you're better Christians because you were willing to sign up (laughs) than those who are going to just drop in. Either way, good Christian, not a good Christian, you're all loved by the Lord, and we'll be happy to see you there. It's going to be a really good workshop, and we're doing it right around Easter because we want to do our best to be prepared to come on Easter Sunday and really celebrate the reality of the resurrection and all that Jesus has accomplished as prophet, priest, and king. Amen? So that brings up Easter. It's in a couple of weeks. It will be one service on Easter Sunday outside at 10 a.m. Can you say that with me? One service outside, weather permitting. Let me clarify what that means. Nobody was, you guys didn't want to say that. Let me clarify what that means. Uh, what, what we mean by weather permitting is this. Um, unless it's snowing sideways, we're going to meet outside. Are you guys with me? And the reason, some of you are laughing because you don't take me serious, but the reality is, is we're going to meet outside unless it's snowing sideways because our kids ministry has requested the use of the sanctuary for their kids resurrection celebration party. Now, who, which parent among us wants to say, no, I'd rather do it myself. You see what I mean? So we're going to go outside so our kids can come in here and just have a wonderful time celebrating. Speaking of kids on Sunday morning, uh, on Easter Sunday, the kids are practicing, even maybe as we speak, a couple of songs because they're going to help lead us in worship on uh, Easter Sunday, and you're not going to want to miss that because regardless of what words they use or what bodies they move, it's going to be a fantastic time. Amen? Easter service, one, one, one service outside, 10 a.m. If you're interested in helping us set up or tear down, would you please see Rachel after service because we could use the volunteer help to move some chairs and stages and all of those things around. In the meantime, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Is that okay? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we come before you 
even in the pages of your word today. We pray that you would have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to let you guys know right off the bat that today we're going to spend most of our time talking about forgiveness. And with that, it's worth noting right off the bat that forgiveness on the surface is a very easy concept to understand, but in reality, in life, it can be a very difficult concept to live out. Everybody agree? And the reason it's a difficult concept to live out at times and a difficult expectation is because, sadly, we live in a world where people get hurt. Yeah? So I'm going to ask you on behalf of not only everybody that may be sitting around you, but everybody uh, in the world around us, I'm going to ask you just to quietly just be praying. Forgiveness can be a difficult concept to talk about depending on the things that have happened to us or maybe even the things that we've done to others because just as difficult as it can be to pass on for forgiveness, sometimes it's as equally difficult to accept forgiveness as well. Either way, it can be a dicey subject, which is interesting when we consider the story of Jesus as we're making our way through his life and his ministry as we find, him, find all of them described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's interesting that the passage that Paul just read for us all happens during the same conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples that last week. Last week, we were looking and we noted that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to give his life as a ransom for many. He's going to sacrifice himself for our sins. He's going to shed his blood for our forgiveness. In so doing, he is willingly taking our place and taking upon himself the wrath of God due to every sin that has ever happened. And it's important for us to understand that. If Jesus was just forgiving or just throwing things under the rug and not dealing with the wrath of God, if the wrath of God wasn't a real thing, then God wouldn't be just. You see, God is a just God and sin requires punishment, i.e. the wrath of God. And even our sins deserved God's wrath because a holy God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. A God who would ignore sin would not be worth trusting. But that being said, he is a God who willingly pours out his wrath upon sin. Only here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus in his Death and resurrection took it all upon himself instead of it having to be poured out on us. I, for one, am grateful and thankful, yes and amen. But this is what he's going to go do. And on the way, he wants to make sure that his disciples understand exactly what he's about as the Messiah. That he wasn't coming just to overthrow the Romans. He was coming to overthrow sin and death that were ruling and reigning in the lives of all of humanity. That's a big, big purpose, much bigger than just some governmental overthrow. And he wants to make sure his disciples understand it. And so he's got them in a room, in a house, in most likely a town called Capernaum, maybe even Peter's house, and he's sitting down instructing his disciples. And if you remember last week, one of the instructions he gave them was that sin must be taken seriously. He said, like, remember, if your right eye causes you to sin, it would be better for you to gouge it out and go into heaven with one eye than enter into, do, do you see that? If your right hand, cut it off, right? Sin must be dealt with decisively. We have to remember that the scriptures that Paul read, even though we moved from the book of Mark to the book of Matthew, are still part of this ongoing conversation. So Jesus moves in the conversation to make these statements. If your brother sins against you, and then he gives this whole process for what to do. I think it's worth noting that this is an important and loving lesson from the Lord because he's just told his disciples, some of whom were zealous in their connection to him. He's just told them how serious sin is. And with that in mind, don't you know that some of us could hear from the Lord like sin is really serious and it must be dealt with. What he was talking about was their sin, but it's easy for us to go, oh, okay, well, I'm going to take sin serious, especially the sin that somebody does against me. I'm going to whip out a sword and I'm gonna start gouging out eyes and cutting off hands. Now, we wouldn't do that practically, would we? But who among us has made that mistake? 
where we tend to deal with the sins or the struggles that come against us in a harsh and unforgiving way. And so Jesus, wishing to teach and temper his disciples, begins to give them a process for how sin within the body of Christ must be dealt with. And in so doing, just so you know, I believe that what we get from God today are a couple of calling cards. We get like God's heart for the reality of his community. And his community, in the passages that we will see today, his community is going is supposed to be, his heart is that we would be a community that is committed to loving accountability and gracious forgiveness. I don't know about you, but have you ever had a conversation with somebody who doesn't go to church? You don't have to raise your hand. Just look at me and I'll be able to tell because I can read your minds. I can't. I can't. I take best guesses at what's happening with your eyes. Most of the time, my best guess is most people are tired. But moving forward. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody about church? And they hesitate about wanting to go to church or be involved with church or hang out with somebody who does go to church because unfortunately and sadly, the church, not just this church, but the church globally doesn't have the best reputation right now. Are you guys aware of this? Where we're supposed to have a reputation for loving accountability, that is, that we lovingly help one another when we have issues, Instead, we have a reputation for judgment and condemnation instead of accountability and forgiveness. See, this, if last week was an invitation by God to get over ourselves, then this week is an invitation by God to be the church that he wants us to be, a church that practices loving accountability, that is willing to graciously forgive no matter how hard forgiveness gets or is, or no matter how much we struggle with it. First, we're to be a community of loving accountability. Look at what he says. If your brother, verse 15, sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Notice that it doesn't say if your brother or somebody in the church, and we're talking about the context of the church, so he's, he's saying, look, if within the context of the believing community, somebody wrongs you, somebody sins against you, he doesn't say, go and gossip with your small group about it. Are you with me? He doesn't say, oh, wait, let me show, just in case anybody wonders how that works, because somebody might be going, oh my goodness, people wouldn't do that, would they? It usually starts like this. Yeah, I have a prayer request. So-and-so did such-and-such. And I'm the victim, and I think we should pray about them. When in reality, we're just going, they're jerks, and we hate them, and I want you to hate them just like I hate them. God forgive them. Do you guys see how that works? I'm going to bring up lots of little examples that I'm assuming all of us are somewhat familiar with, so we're not going to have to raise our hands 150 times. You're welcome. However, we have to buy in. Notice, God doesn't say, go and gossip about them. God doesn't say, get a baseball bat and go visit them. Do do, do you see what I mean? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, get ready to challenge them to a mano-a-mano fisticuffs in the center of the church where everybody gets in a circle and two guys that have a problem get in the middle. And whoever comes out alive is the one we believe. Did you guys not see like Roman gladiator movies, right? This is not what he says. He says our our community is supposed to be a different kind of community. We're not supposed to gossip or hate, slander or hurt. We're supposed to work it out because we're accountable to one another before God. Everybody in the community who claims to be a believer has been given the same forgiveness as everyone else. Now, don't get me wrong, we all haven't been forgiven for the same things, but we have the same forgiveness, yes? Amen? And he says there's an accountability to that. Like, our behavior towards one another and with one another is supposed to be in in, in keeping with our belief. And sometimes we get that wrong, and so God says when we get it wrong, 
We're supposed to be accountable to one another. And so when we have issues and when we have struggles and when we have challenges, when we have hurts and when we have anything that would get in between us, we're supposed to go and talk with the individual who's involved. Now, I listen, there's a part of me who wouldn't blame you for just silently protesting every word I say today. Because if you silently protested, you'll somehow get this mistaken belief that you don't have to do it. But I'm just going to let you know, later on, we're going to make a statement that forgiveness within the body of Christ is non-negotiable and we all have to practice it. And so Jesus says, look, if somebody struggles, you go and talk to them. And when he says that, please understand his heart. His heart is reconciliation and restoration. His heart is not condemnation and judgment. The heart of God is to bring people back together. The heart of God is to bring peace among his people. The heart of God is that his community would be a community where agape reigns without hindrance or barriers or problems. Agape, his love reigning and ruling. And it's not supposed to be hindered by any kind of sin whatsoever. So he gives this indication. He gives this challenge to his disciples then and now. If we got struggles with each other, we got to go talk to each other one-on-one. One-on-one. He says, if your brother causes sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And the word gained means you have lifted them up. See, we're supposed to be a community of loving accountability that lifts one another up. And that's what he's talking about. But sometimes it doesn't go well, that first conversation. So he says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, I'm just going to let you know right now. A lot of people have read Matthew chapter 18. You don't have to raise your hands, but I recognize a lot of people have read this passage. And it's my experience that when we read this passage, we, either, we have a tendency to look at it a little more legalistically than we do lovingly. We have a tendency, if you're like me, to read it from a perspective, okay, here's my ammunition, this is what I get to do to ensure my own safety, value, and worth. So I'm going to go talk to my brother. If he doesn't listen to my accusation, if he doesn't listen to me, and if he doesn't agree with me, then I'm going to go get two witnesses from the church. I'm going to go get the pastor and one of the elders. (laughs) Just so you know, if that's your mentality and you call me and you say, hey, Pastor Darren, I'm I'm going to practice a Matthew 18 here. My brother wouldn't listen to me, and so I, I want to make sure that he listens to me so we can get this all figured out because he needs to know what he did wrong to me, and I want to win this argument. Will you and one of the elders come with me? My answer is going to be 100% unequivocally no. Now, if you want me to come as a brother in the Lord, 100% yes. But I'm going to go ahead and leave the name tag that says Pastor So-and-so on my desk, which is funny because, number one, I don't really have a desk, and number two, (laughs) no one's ever given me a name tag. Don't. I'm not asking for one. (laughs) Don't. Although a gas, ga- gas station attendant shirt that just says Pastor D, like that, that's kind of cool, right? Anyway, if somebody doesn't listen to you, then you go and grab a couple of witnesses and bring them along. Now, when we read this legalistically, we think you're darn right. I'm going to get two people that agree with me, and we're going to go show him his wrong. We're going to line up in a line like this, the three of us against you. We're going to say, you're a terrible human, and we all agree. That's not necessary. Do you guys think like this? No, most of you know. Okay, you're better humans than I am. Most of the time, a lot of times, that's how this gets dealt with. But what he's talking about, the two or three witnesses, just so you know, is not just for the benefit of one, it's actually for the benefit of both. So that there's actually people who are watching out for the parties involved. Does that make sense? It's not just that one person has three people and they can go and gang up against the one person. It's that the community, presumably, who all knows each other, can recognize, wait, we're accountable more than just to myself, and there's a whole community we're connected to, and the community is here to help. Have you ever been with an argument and you needed mediation, and in the midst of the argument, the mediator goes, you know, it seems to me that what you're really saying and what they're really hearing is different, and what if it was like this, and in the midst of the mediation, you're like, oh, that makes more sense. Because sometimes with the addition of other people, we calm down, and we're open to more wisdom that can come from a multitude of counsel. 
So if they don't listen, you go get a couple of witnesses, not so you can be guaranteed that you win your case, but that the community can be guaranteed of a type of accountability that brings about forgiveness and the glory of God is seen through that. But sadly, sometimes it doesn't stop there. And so Jesus continues on in verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus, just so you know, for probably the next few months, as we look at the story of Jesus, is going to say some very difficult things. Because what he just said is you go and talk to your brother if you have an issue and get it worked out. If you can't get it worked out, then you involve some more committed accountability people within the body and you have another conversation. If that doesn't work, then you involve the church. If that doesn't work, then the church is to respond to the believer who sinned, who refuses to admit their sin. You respond to them like they are an unbeliever. We struggle with that concept because throughout the church's history, the the church has not done a very good job with excommunication, if you will. We struggle with it because we have this idea that, 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 that Jesus would never kick anybody out. And in reality, if you go read the scripture, he has some pretty clear things to say to people who are divisive or rebellious to the point of not recognizing their wrong and how it affects his community. Just so you know, though, accountability, the church has got, we have got to understand and start embracing our responsibility, our responsibility that we have one to another in community. And that responsibility is not just, hey, you're doing awesome today, which is great, but we also have a responsibility to both praise and correct And we've got to embrace that. And sometimes that's a difficult thing because the last thing I want is to have a hundred of you all up in my business. And when I say that, I'm speaking for all of us because I'm wondering how many of you want a hundred people all up in your daily life? You know what I'm saying? We don't want that, but guess what? We need it. We actually need it. Now, I'm not saying that we need a hundred people giving us permission to go get gas in our cars. That's not what I'm talking about. But as it relates to living a life that gives God glory and expresses the kind of commitment to discipleship that he longs to see, we need one another and we need help. Not only do we need the help of encouragement, but just so we're all clear, more often than not, we need the help of correction and caution. Hey, man, take it easy. Hey, hold on. That wasn't great. You guys with me? I hesitate to admit this, but I'm just going to because I... I just think we should. I I, I, I recently had a pretty bad day. And in the midst of the bad day, I did a couple of bad things. And what I wanted was everybody to just leave me alone and give me a pass on the bad day and the bad things. What I needed within the community was somebody to come to me and go, hey, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. And so somebody did. An individual literally chased me down and said, hey, man. You got to chill out. And I was like, I know I have to, but I don't want to. (laughs) But here's the beauty of accountability where love is the basis for doing it. The person said, well, it doesn't matter if you want to, you got to. Oh, I know. And I will, but not right now because I'm too angry. The person was like, seriously, Darren, you got to chill out. You got to go do church in five minutes. And I said, well, I got five minutes to get it figured out then. And the individual, just so you know, did not quit on me. And because I know that the individual loves me, I embraced what the individual had to say. And out of it came a, you know what, you're right. Let me just take a deep breath and we'll get this figured out. And it created a process over the next few days that was lived out in just this way where we'll, we'll get it figured out. And the people who were uh, 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 victims of the bad day got apologies and they got conversation. We had all of those things. We have to embrace the responsibility of it. Because when we embrace the responsibility of loving accountability, everybody grows. And everybody grows in ways that we wouldn't probably grow on our own. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling in the midst of my own sin and rebellion that's hurting with people, 
I don't want to deal with it. I just want an excuse to keep doing it. Because I've been wronged or because I've been whatever. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're going to be a community of accountability and we have to take that responsibility seriously. And we have to recognize not only our responsibility in it, we also have to recognize the authority that comes within it. Listen, look at what Jesus says in verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, a lot of times we hear that where two or three are gathered, and we, we, we contextualize that to the prayer meetings we're having and the parking spots that we want at the mall at Christmas. If you guys are, you guys are, I don't know why I use this example first service, and I told myself I wasn't going to do it second service, and yet here I am. This is not some incantation and little formula that we can grab another believer and we can say, hey, come here with me. Lord, I'm having a really tough day today and it's like I've got a really busy schedule and I have to get my Christmas shopping done and the mall's gonna be really busy and there's not gonna be any front spaces and I could really use a front space because I just don't wanna walk too far. So Lord, could you, and my brother here is agreeing with me, there are two or three of us agreeing in prayer that you could give us a glorious front row Christmas parking spot. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes we still get a glorious front row Christmas spot. But that probably has more to do with somebody leaving than God blessing. See, what he's talking about here is discipline. And he's talking about the authority that comes with it. And the decisions that the community makes together as it relates to sin and forgiveness are decisions that are authoritative because... Where two or three are gathered, there I am with them. In other words, Jesus is saying within the accountability, responsibility towards accountability that the body is supposed to have, when the body begins, when the church, with the faith community begins to step into that and really try to exercise it, he's there with us. And when we make decisions about this is what we're going to do and this is what we're not going to do and so on and so forth, even, God forbid, it comes to a situation where we have to say the person is rebellious and they can no longer be among us in that way, then we have to recognize those decisions are authoritative. They're authoritative. And it's not just those decisions that involve a pastor and some elders. It's those decisions that involve the body coming together for accountability. Now, just so you know, in case we misunderstand the heart of God to say that we can authoritatively kick people out of church if necessary, right? Because some of you are like, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to get rid of No, I'm kidding. You guys aren't like that, are you? But just in case, when he says, if somebody refuses and they're rebellious all the way to the point of, be, of refusing to repent of their sin, then you teach them, you treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. In other words, the interaction with them changes from corrective discipleship to persistent prayer. They were actually praying that God would get a hold of their heart and they would turn around from their rebellious attitude or mindset. You know what? If I ever get into that place, man, I want a community that's willing not just to kick me out and give up on me, but a community that's willing to discipline and then pray for me so that God would still work and draw me back. This is the heart and this is the kind of accountability that Jesus desires. It's accountability that's built on this issue of forgiveness and the disciples understood it. Peter himself in verse 21 says this, then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So Peter's, he's, he's paying attention and he's recognizing that this kind of accountability is gonna require personal forgiveness. I'm gonna have to forgive people that have sinned against me. And so Peter goes to Jesus and he says, okay, now how often do I have to do that? Peter seems to know that people are gonna fail us over and over and over. And so Peter's like, how often do I need to do that? And he goes on to say, as many as seven times? Now, just so you know, in Jewish culture, the rabbis in Peter's day taught that you only had to forgive somebody three times. After three, you were enabling them to continue to make mistakes, and they needed to be cut off. So you go one, two, three, we're done. Does that make sense? 
So look, this is what the rabbis were teaching the Jewish community at that time. And so Peter says, well, Lord, okay, I recognize that you're going to require me to forgive somebody. Well, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Seven times? And if you didn't catch that, let me do it again. Seven times? One more time. Seven times? Because that's what Peter's trying to do. Listen, I know Bethany is thinking I'm ridiculous right now, but seven times? I just wanted to move my hips again, loosen up the back. Here's the deal. Peter is boasting about what he's willing to do. He's saying, Lord, I'm willing to forgive twice what is expected plus one. Aren't I a good disciple? And so then, look at what Jesus says to him. And Jesus says in verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or some of your translations will say 70 times seven times. So either you get off the hook by going, okay, Jesus said I only have to forgive 77 times or 490. Either way, there are some who's taken this to be to recognize that forgiveness is some sort of mathematical equation, and forgiveness can be nothing like that. It's not that. What The point that Jesus was making is you continue to forgive just as God has forgiven you. See, the other calling card that's supposed to be a part of the Christian community is not only loving accountability, but gracious forgiveness, the kind that is always continually and ongoingly willing to forgive others just as God has forgiven us. Now, you might be thinking, well, how do we know it's just as God has forgiven us? Well, look at what Jesus says in the next few verses. In verse 23, he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Can I give you a technical uh, term for 10,000 talents? It's a technical theological term. You'll find it in commentaries. A bazillion. I kid you not. I found that in a commentary. <laughs> they did the math. It's a bazillion. In other words, here's the point. In Greek language... 10,000 was the biggest number that they would use, but it was used to refer to a situation that could not be counted. So what Jesus is describing is that a servant of a king, do you see the picture? God, us. There's a servant of a king who owned the king a bazillion dollars, an unforgivable debt. And the king is trying to settle his accounts. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. Just so you know, Jesus is telling a parable about what the kingdom is like, about what kingdom communities are supposed to be like. The point of which is they're supposed to forgive just like God has forgiven them. That's the main point. All the details are just pointing to that point. We don't hang our hat on every single detail and say, okay, that's it. If somebody can't pay their debt, their sin struggle until they can. We throw them in prison. We throw them in church prison or purgatory or whatever it is we want to call it. That's not the point. Jesus is making a point that forgiveness is a non-negotiable issue within the church. So he says in verse 26, the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. The servant is praying for gracious mercy we, even when he says, have patience and I'll pay you everything, he knows he'll never be able to pay a bazillion dollars. Are you with me? I, by the way, I was super happy when I read the word bazillion because I knew I'd get to say it over and over and over. So the servant, knowing he's not going to be able to pay a bazillion dollars, is begging for mercy, somehow saying, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. And look at what happens. And out of pity, verse 27... The master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Forgave the debt. The end of the parable, Jesus is going to actually tell us to forgive our brother from the heart just as God has forgiven us. So when we recognize that forgiveness is supposed to be Gracious forgiveness is supposed to be a part of God's community, just like loving accountability. Then we have to remember that forgiveness is more than just a mathematical equation. It's a willingness, an ongoing willingness to pass on to others what God has passed on to us. And not only that, we have to remember that forgiveness is also 
a glorious representation of God's heart. Because in this parable, he's using this idea of God and us, those who owed God a a debt that we couldn't pay, and yet because of what Christ has done for us, it's been forgiven. We're supposed to see that. And when we see that, and we recognize that forgiveness is supposed to not only come into us, but also be worked out of us, then we have to accept and embrace this privilege we have when we practice forgiveness of giving God even more glory. Because don't you know, when we are prone to forgive, people will wonder why. Because we will, as believers, forgive things that other people might think are not forgivable. And yet we will. And in the conversation about that process, people will say, why did you do that? How could you? But they did this and they did this and they said this and they did all of those things. And we're going to say, yeah, but are they not worthy or deserving of the same grace and mercy that God has given me? You see, when we see it from the perspective of heaven, we get it better, if that makes sense. And so when we practice forgiveness and willingly step into the process, then God is glorified. I would say even more than when we come on Sunday mornings and we sing our first two songs. Does that make sense? Like when we live out our faith in a courageous way that's even willing to forgive those who have wronged us. We're giving God glory because we're allowing the world to see a glorious representation of his heart being lived out in real life. Finally, though, let me say it again. I think that Jesus wants us to remember that forgiveness is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. You work it out, you forgive, or face God. Because this is what he says. He goes on in verse 28 and he says, But when that same servant, you know, the one who was graciously forgiven, when he found out his fellow servants owed him a hundred denarii. So remember, this servant owed the master a bazillion dollars. (laughs) And he gets forgiven. And he immediately goes out and he finds somebody that owes him a couple of months worth of wages. You see that? You see how different that is? Look at what happens. So he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Does, is there anybody in the room who reads that and is like, oh my gosh, that's horrible, right? Unfortunately, we're prone to the same kind of attitude, the same kind of self-protecting, selfish kind of attitude that says, I'm not going to get hurt again. So look at what happens. So when his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, just like he did, have patience with me and I will pay you, he, verse 30, refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. See, the point that Jesus is trying to make is forgiveness is is supposed to be a non-negotiable issue within the church. Within the context of a faith community, we're supposed to be forgiving And he tells a parable that is supposed to grab our attention, even make us afraid of the consequences of being unforgiving. We just don't do that anymore, do we? And yet here we are in the midst of this passage. It's why I love going through the story of Jesus, because you can't duck it and you can't move it. You have to go through it. And when we go through it, we will see that forgiveness is supposed to be a non-negotiable issue. And if you refuse to do it, then you have to take that up with God himself, who will call you into accountability for what you refuse to do, even though he graciously was willing to do for you. See, that's the point for all of us. Our community is supposed to be marked by accountability and forgiveness. But it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes we don't do either. Sometimes we don't forgive or hold each other accountable for a number of reasons. 
Number one, we're either arrogant or rebellious. We just think that we're better than those processes, and so we stand away from it. Number two, sometimes we don't do it because we've been hurt and traumatized because people have suffered real serious ramifications for horrible sins that have done against them. And so in that process, forgiveness can be difficult. I recognize that. I see that. I understand that. There's even an empathy towards it. But as a community, we have a responsibility, an authority, and an expectation to be a community that is built on the same forgiveness that God has given to us for one another. It's supposed to be in us and then working through us. It's what makes the Christian community different than the world around us. And don't you know, even furthermore, if we can be a little preachy, it's what the world around us needs to see and hear from the church. Maybe a little less picketing and a little more forgiving might actually do something, might actually share the glory of God with people, right? And it starts within the building. It starts here. That we have to be committed to, like, when we have problems with one another, go talk to each other, If you come to me and say, Pastor Darren, Pastor Darren, Pastor Darren, nobody ever says that to me. Not in triplicate. But if you would come to me and say, Pastor Darren, I got an issue with my brother and I wanted to know if you could help me work it out. The very first question I'm going to ask you is this. Have you talked to them yourself? And if you say, no, not yet. I was hoping that you could. I would say this. Don't put on me what you're supposed to do yourself. I will pray for you. I'll walk you to their doorstep. But if you haven't had a conversation with them face-to-face, one-on-one, I will not go in the house because you got to work it out. It's what the Christian community is supposed to do. If we really love each other, then we'll help each other, won't we? Who among you that has kids doesn't understand that? Like parents, when you see your kid charging towards the light socket with a pair of scissors, You hold them accountable, don't you? Did some of the moms just go, oh my gosh, that's harsh. (laughs) Or some of the moms were like, last night. (laughs) Or dads. I'm not meaning that the dads weren't there. That's what we do, right? And why do we do that? Why would I stand in the gap and go, Ezekiel, stop. Put down those scissors. And I'm using my dad voice, you know, that one. Don't do that. One, two. And then I start walking towards him to grab the scissors because we know that I don't want to get to five because I don't, it gets ugly after that. One, two. And I take the scissors out of his hands, even though it crushes him. He's like, I wanted the scissors. But I'm like, I love you more than to allow you to let this behavior hurt you. Because if you make it to the light socket, it's going to hurt you. And we won't have electricity. (laughs) I mean, that's to say it has an effect on the whole community, doesn't it? I know it sounds ridiculous, but what do we do for one another? What do we do for our loved ones? We stand in the gap on behalf of each other, and we caution one another, and we correct one another. This is, and we do it because we love one another. This is what God's calling us to. He's calling us to hold each other accountable and be forgiving when we fail. Can we do that, church? That's what he wants us to do. And I got to believe that Jesus, more than me and more than you, Jesus knows what he's talking about, Yeah. He does. And so when we will practice this, and if we will practice it, then there's some great things that happens. Number one, people are valued. People are valued. They find out we love you more than to just let you blow it left and right. We actually care about you. And the reason we're coming to talk to you is because we love you. So people find value, both people in the process. Not only are people valued, but the hope of forgiveness gets made known, and it becomes something that people talk about. And they recognize, well, wait a minute, this community won't kick me out. They'll help me get better. And that's what we're supposed to do, right? People should know that there's hope and forgiveness, and we'll never get it if we don't embrace it and start practicing it. And it's not just hope of forgiveness. It's our witness to the world that makes a huge difference when we start to forgive one another. There's this witness that tells the world around us, and if you can't get passionate about forgiveness, I don't know what's wrong with you, but there's this witness that we tell the world as we begin to forgive one another. There's something that tells them
them about the love of God in Christ. And they're going to start wondering, what, how, why? You know what I mean? Because people are used to being disqualified and done with. And yet we get to say, no, you're not disqualified yet, and we're not done with you. Before it ever gets to that, we want to work with you. We want to help you. We want to walk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to fight with you. Does that make sense? Because the purpose is not condemnation and judgment. The purpose is restoration and reconciliation. This is what God wants from his people. He wants forgiveness to rule and reign. But the problem is... We get hung up with it, and I recognize that. We get hung up in our own stubborn minds that says, you know what, I forgave him 700 and whatever the math is, and I'm not going to do it again. Or we're just too hurt. It was just too brutal what happened, and so we don't want to do it. And we forget that forgiveness and actually embracing the ability to forgive one another may be the starting point or the jumping off point or the beginning of our own healing. See, when we forgive somebody else, God actually begins to do a work in our heart. But if we hold on to it, we're only hurting ourselves. We have to be a community, according to the words of Christ, that is willing to hold each other accountable and forgive the mistakes that we will probably make. Why don't you stand with me for just one moment? I was thinking about this all week long, and I recognized that there's the reality that there's probably people within our community that have experienced some pretty horrible things. And any talk of forgiveness feels like, well, for lack of a better term, stupidity. But it's not stupid. But in the midst of a group of people whom some maybe have experienced some brutal things in life, you should know this, that what God actually asks us to do, even though forgiveness is not negotiable, we should remember that what the Lord asks asks us to do is to forgive someone from the heart. Just start there. Because I don't know about you, but man, when you hear like, you gotta forgive someone, I don't know, there are moments in my life where it's like, the last thing I wanna do is go talk to that person who hurt me. The last thing I wanna do is put myself in danger by being around somebody who's dangerous. But notice what Jesus says. He says, you gotta forgive from your heart. My suggestion is no matter how hard forgiveness gets and no matter how hard the hard things or the hurtful things that have happened to us, all he asks is that we start with our heart. All he asks is that we say, hey, Lord, while I trust you with everything out here, will you help me in here to forgive that hurt and let go of the struggle? When we do that, we can trust the Lord to take it from there, can't we? I mean, quite often, we quote this verse, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Seems really appropriate as it relates to forgiveness, doesn't it? Not just the forgiveness that we're supposed to give, but even some of, the, some of it, like on the other side of the coin, some people in here are having a hard time with forgiveness that, that you need to get because you've blown it one too many times in your own mind, right? You know that God will forgive you this much, but man, you've done it this much, and certainly his love has limits, but that's the beauty of the gospel. It doesn't. So whether it's forgiveness needed or forgiveness that's needed to be given, all he asks is that we repent and look to him let him do a work in our heart and then let him lead us from that point on. What does that mean? Does a forgiveness require us to be friends with our abusers? No, it doesn't. But if we don't forgive from the heart, it's going to become like a tumor that'll destroy us. And we'll just say from the heart, okay, Lord, I want to deal with that. Guess what? God will meet you there and start bringing healing to some of the most overwhelming and brutal hurts that have happened to people. He'll meet you there. 
and he'll start bringing healing. As far as how that looks like with the rest of your life, let's just trust him with all of our heart. Let's not lean on our own understanding that's picked up from the world that says that forgiveness and love are limited. Let's acknowledge him in all of our ways and believe that he'll make our paths straight. And then in seven and eight, he goes on to say this, be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing to your flesh and a refreshment to your bones. When you came in, you were given some communion elements. Nate's going to lead us in one more song, and as he does, I'm just going to ask you to hold on to those elements. We're going to take them together after the song. But while we're singing this one song together, I want you to hold them. Feel them. Think about them. Not just practically, I know, we're going to think about, okay, we got to get the layer right so we can get that top little piece of bread out just perfectly. And we're going to try to peel back the cover of the juice without spilling it on our pretty white Sunday clothes. I mean, you can think about it that way too. But think about what we're doing. As a church, we're taking a moment to remember how God has forgiven us. Not just what he expects from us, but what he has exemplified for us. So as we hold these elements during this last song, I want us to hold them, feel them, think about them, and allow them to be the motivation that moves us from this place to a people who are willing to embrace not only accountability, but even, even the miraculous thing we call forgiveness. And believe that God will work through it for his glory and his honor. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for being willing to teach us tough things and challenge us beyond maybe where we would challenge ourselves. We ask, God, that wherever we're held up struggling or having a hard time, that you would meet us right in the middle of that. Jesus, even as we hold these symbols of your love and forgiveness, would you motivate us to move as a community just the way you want us to? I pray, Lord, that your word would be planted deep within our hearts and it would produce the good fruit of accountability and forgiveness and that you would get glory and honor and people from near and far would want to be a part of what you're doing even here at Rogue Valley Christian Church. Lord, work within each one of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, be honored as we sing. Thank you for listening. For more information about Rogue Valley Christian Church, please visit our website at www.rvchristian.com.